Anyway, we arrived at Mount Storm. It was raining. It was dark at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was 46 degrees. It was really, really cold. That's life on the mountain. But we had a good time with family. And then we stopped in Kaiser and saw my dad, who happened to be here. The original Lowell McDonald is right there. Hi, Daddy. And um, saw him for a little bit. And we arrived home late last night. Had to do some things. Nancy had to go get some groceries. And I kind of reviewed a little bit for this morning. It's funny, though. We headed to bed. Lay down there on, you know, in our bed and get all comfortable and all that kind of stuff. I do this little thing with my phone. I've got this cool app. And Nancy says, hey, turn on the frogs. So I press a button and all through the night there's these frogs. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. I like to pretend that I'm laying next to a river, okay, and sleeping out there in the wild with my wife next to me. You know, it's just, I'm weird, I know, but drift off to sleep. And the alarm goes off. It's, you know, 4.30 in the morning. But from 9.30 to 4.30, I get this great gift every night of sleep. You ever think about that? What sleep is? If you don't appreciate it yet, wait till you have a time when you can't find it. When you go a couple days or weeks and, and you can't get a good night's rest. That really shows you how valuable the rest is. That God gives us the gift of rest. We can't recreate it. We can try to take medication to aid it. And the truth is, there's nothing like that rest that comes when we sleep. Now, if you're kind of frustrated, you're like, yeah, well, I wish I slept. Well, tonight I won't. Sunday night's my night not to sleep. You know why? Because I think about what I should have said when I'm up here. I should have said this. I said, oh, did I really say that? How embarrassing. I think about all that through the night. So tonight's my night that I will struggle for sleep. Well, we've got a whole lot. That's, I'm going to allow that. So we're going to do this. It really does. I said it doesn't bother me, but it does. How's that? There we go. Good, good. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke. To the gospel of Luke is where we're going to be this morning. We've been walking through that. And you're going to turn to Luke chapter 18, I trust. Uh, We walk through books of the Bible, one verse, one phrase even, one verse, one paragraph, one chapter at a time. We found ourselves at Luke chapter 18 this morning. But before we move into that, I just want to remind you some words of Jesus, speaking of rest. Put up on the screen here, from Matthew chapter 11, you need to turn there, I think I've got it for you. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor. All who labor, Jesus says, come to him, who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We've been talking about Jesus' kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ offers you rest if you become part of his kingdom. I put a title here for today, it said Kingdom Entrance. But what I want us to realize as we, as we move into our passage for today is not only are we going to talk about entering His kingdom, but living in His kingdom. Entering into His kingdom and living into his, in His kingdom. We enter the kingdom of God, the, the spiritual kingdom of God, by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. Putting our trust on Jesus. And that's the rest He offers us. But I want us to be aware today that living daily life in the spiritual kingdom of God is no different. We continually put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we received Him as Lord, so walk in Him. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. That's how we are to walk. 
So in our passage for today in Luke chapter 18, I want to jump into the middle here and just read for you verses 16 through 18. Actually, I'll start at verse 15 to give it the context. Luke 18, 15 says this. Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, we have a child right over here. Okay? Tell us who this is. This is Kayla. Kayla. And I asked permission to hold her for just a minute. Actually, I held her up. Are you giving her something? Mom, you better stay close. This is Kayla. I got to hold her last week at small group for, for most of the time. She's going to bust and, and so forth. Turn her around. Oh, let me have mom turn her around. Here's the thing about an infant. Can you hold her? I think she likes you better. I'm not insulted, Kayla. I understand. Kayla. Jesus says that we're to be like an infant. And that's the word he uses. The word here is infant that Jesus uses. What is an infant? I mean, is it just that she's little? Because she is little. Her, her hands are tiny. Is that what it is? Is it that she's weak? You might say, well, she's a weak baby. She's not weak. If you don't believe me, come to their house tonight about, what, 3.30 in the morning when she decides she wants to eat? She's not weak. She has a heart and lungs, and God has designed this. Si- there is a system here God has designed that is powerful, and it will mature. But she is a wonderfully designed creature as she is. She's not weak. She's not weak at all. What is it about a child that Jesus is pointing us to? He says we must become like a child to enter into the kingdom of God. And I would say to you to continue to live in the kingdom of God, we must be like a child. Thanks, Kayla. Oh, now she's looking at me and smiling. This is what I got last week at small group. And she was so just quiet and calm in my hands, I thought, I can use her next Sunday. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. What is it about an infant? I thought about it this week. What is Jesus referring to? And yes, she's little, but I don't believe that's what it is. What it is is an infant has little regard, quite honestly, for their own strength. Little regard for their own strength. She knows she doesn't have to provide for herself. And so she totally depends upon her mother and her father, whoever's holding her at that moment. Little regard for her own strength. Little regard for her own status. She doesn't care about whether she's important to us or not. That doesn't matter to her. Little regard for her capabilities. Little regard for her, even her happiness. An infant understands that everything that can be theirs Everything that should be theirs is dependent upon another. And they are absolutely fine with that. As a matter of fact, they're completely content. Oh, I know, Jonathan, there's some times she doesn't show a whole lot of contentment. I realize that. But a child is fine. It's fine, settled, content, happy, filled with joy. That somebody else is ready to meet their needs. This is how we come to Jesus in the kingdom of God. 
And this is how we live as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to look at today. It's kind of a long passage of Scripture, but I think we'll walk through it, and, and, and I believe you understand how these things fit together. So we see here in the middle that Jesus is talking about little baby infants and makes the statement, we must come to Him, come to God as a child. Let's jump back now in the Gospel of Luke, just a few verses, to verse number 9. What we're going to look at here is we're going, to, we're going to see what Jesus is calling us to. This first one is to be as a child. To be as a child. And then we're going to see sort of an anti-type. And what, that, what I'm using that to mean is this is an example that isn't following what Jesus has taught. We're to be as a child. And now we're going to see an example of one who isn't living that. We could call it an anti-type. In verse number 9, let's read it. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That's not a child. That's not an infant. He told this story to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's not an infant. Hear the status? Hear the self-provision? That's not a child. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Common occurrence of the day. Two men, many men would come into the temple to pray. Men and women. Two men. Jesus tells this story. By the way, it is a parable. Jesus is making it up to make a point. Two men come to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now let's just stop in your thinking for just a minute. We need to understand that in the day when Jesus was telling this story, Pharisee, Pharisee was not a derogatory term. If you call someone a Pharisee today, that is, you're cutting on them. You are, you are tearing them down. And this day, when Jesus said a Pharisee and a tax collector, the people that were there in, the, in earshot of this story, the Pharisee was the one who was respected. The Pharisee is the one who was admired. They were understood to be the one who was close to God. And in that culture, you saw the evidence of it in their life. What evidence did you see? They were blessed. They were blessed with great outward righteousness. They were blessed with great wealth. You could see that God's finger was with them because they were very wealthy. And they want everybody to see that. I told you just two, three weeks ago, they were the first promoters of the health and wealth gospel, the false gospel that if we follow God, He will give us money. This is not truth. And this is what the Pharisees were teaching in that day, 2,000 years ago. Now he said there was a Pharisee and there was a tax collector. Now you need to understand a second thing. When Jesus said tax collector, all of the good Jewish people there, all the good Roman citizens, everyone in earshot of that phrase, honestly, immediately had feelings of, of great anger toward this individual. A tax collector was not respected. Now we now, as we read all of the Gospels, we see Jesus with sinners and the tax collectors. And so tax collectors come to mean like this, this noble person who was, who was broken before God and, and trying to get to Him. That is not the accurate way of viewing it in that day. Here's what the tax collector was. The tax collector was a man who had rejected God. Had rejected God. In general, the group of people called tax collectors had rejected God, had rejected His people. And what that person did is they made themselves an employee of the Roman government. And they would come to your door and knock on the door and demand that you give them, say, $100. 
And if you didn't give them the $100, they had the authority to call for your arrest. And you'd give them $100 and it'd be not be unlike them to put 50 in their own pocket and turn 50 into the Roman government. They'd abandoned God and they'd abandoned their own people. So the Pharisee in this story is the good guy in their ear. And the tax collector is the bad guy in their ear. The Pharisee would have the big white hat and the tax collector would have the ugly black hat. That's just the way it would look in their mind. Notice what happens though. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And I guarantee you, he prayed it loud for everybody to hear. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And those who could hear <gasps> gasped. Oh, how dare he say that here in the temple? Oh, it was all part of the fanfare. This was an act that he had well rehearsed before this moment. Or even like this tax collector. As he points to this man who's on the ground. We will see in just a minute. I fast twice a week, the Pharisee says. I give tithes of all that I get. And his speech is done. He looks around to see what the crowd thinks. And if they could, they would applaud. But over in the corner is the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus pauses, I believe, for a dramatic effect. He's a powerful storyteller. Let's the crowd think about what they heard. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What we see here is entering the kingdom of God and living as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of God both require a helpless dependence upon mercy. That's what, that's what we need to work into our lives. And it's just like a child. It's just like a child. The child, is de it is, they're dependent upon another. They're helpless to meet their own, their own needs. And they're dependent upon mom coming to them in mercy and in love and giving them what they need. Oh, but not the Pharisee. Not the Pharisee. I want you to think about the prayer. If we're going to call them a prayer, the Pharisee wasn't even praying, quite honestly. This was no prayer. There was no request. There was no praise. There was no petition given to God. There was no thank you. There was no seeking of forgiveness. This was no prayer shared by this Pharisee, but we'll kind of call it that, okay? Let's look at the prayer and think about maybe two things of both of these men's prayers. First of all, think of their approach, how they approached God, and think about the direction of their prayer. The Pharisee, he is all about, his direction, quite honestly, is about him. His eyes are on himself and everybody who is listening. His approach is to come to God and list for Him how wonderful He is. He gives His righteous credentials. Notice what He says. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not a tax collector, of course. And He says, I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. 
Notice what he lists. In his mind, he's listing all the things that he is not. Warning. Warning. Listen. Follow, if your followership of Christ is about all the things you don't do, you do not understand the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm saying you have growth to, to pursue in your life towards maturity. Following Christ is not a list of don'ts. It's a list of do. It's a, relationship, it's a real relationship with Christ. A real relationship with God. It's not that I don't, you know, drink and smoke and, and date girls that do or something like that. Oh, I forgot to chew, right? Yeah, you've heard that one. Don't chew or... Di- I can't remember it. You can figure it out on, on your own. But it's not a list of things we don't do. And that's what the Pharisee listed. And then he gave his religious credentials. He talked about all that he gives, right? What does he do? He fasts twice a week. He, he gives tithes of all that he gets. It's interesting to look at the Old Testament and realize that's not what God required. That is not what God required in the Old Testament law, and the Mosaic law. God didn't ask for that. God didn't ask him to do this. God did not ask him to tithe everything he has. God did not ask him to fast twice a week. But it's a characteristic of this approach of God that says, well, if God, I, I think maybe God wants this, so I'm going to go even harder and give God even more, and then he'll like me even better. Wrong approach. Wrong approach. Look at the tax collector. I like this guy. You need to know. He's a rarity. He's a rarity. He's never been very common. This kind of approach towards the Lord has always been the narrow road. And it will always be the narrow road. If you're looking for the popular road, if you're looking to the road that everybody else is going on, if you're looking for the road that everybody else pats you on the back and says, good job, this isn't it. Notice what he does. His approach is one of humility. It is one of meekness. He stands far off. He beats his breast. This is a sign of grief, of brokenness. He says, God, it's a short prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His prayer is directed to God. You can listen or not, quite honestly, he doesn't care. It's not about you or me. It's about him and God. Now, we know some things from the rest of our New Testament. We know some things. We know that once you're in Christ, you can approach the throne boldly. We know that. We know that once you're in Christ, that you are a child of God. And God gives you His Son's righteousness. When God looks at you and looks at His Son, He sees you as no less righteous than His own Son if you put your trust in Jesus. We know that from the whole of Scripture. But when we come to God, we live as this man who is on the ground asking for God's mercy, helplessly dependent upon the mercy of God. And God is pleased by a contrite, broken heart. This is how we approach God. You say, well, how does that work, Lowell? I mean, how does that work? Like, next Sunday, are we going to have, all right, tax collector time, everybody come up here and crawl around the floor. Is that what we're going to do? No. No. Let me just tell you practically how this plays out in my life. Maybe that will work for you. I share with you, you know what? 
I try to spend time with the Lord in the morning when I get up. And right now, I've been, I'm reading through the book of Psalms, about a chapter a day, and, you know, it's probably about five or six chapters in a week, because, like yesterday, I slept in, okay? Forgive me, right? Just open up God's Word, and it never fails. Like verse number one of what I'm reading, I think this, God, you are so good to me. You have done so much in my life. And I don't deserve any of it. I never have. I never will. But you've given it to me. I remember holding babies that were my own. And knowing this little one in my arms, it needs everything from me. If I walk away, this child dies. It needs everything from me. Jesus says we need to be such as this. Be as this child. Helplessly dependent upon the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is when I do not receive what I justly deserve. It is I deserve to be rejected by God... But He doesn't give me that. He doesn't give that to me. He withholds that from me. That's mercy. Now we move on. Okay, go back to the text. We're in Luke chapter 18. Jesus now shares this teaching about infants, about children. He says in verse number 16, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Our first point was we need to be as a child. Now we're going to look at what does it mean to receive as a child. We're being like a child. We're now going to receive as a child. Now they're standing in the midst of Jesus. Is We know from the three Gospels that this is a rich young ruler. Okay, That's who this guy is. So we know a few things about him. He's a younger man. He is rich. He's a man of, of means. And he's a ruler. Now what that probably means is, is a couple weeks ago we talked about somebody coming to a judge. He may well have been like a magistrate in that area. He had authority. People came to him and asked him questions and he gave the answer. And his answer had authority. That's what he is. He is a man of authority. He is a man of means. And he just heard Jesus say... That to come to the kingdom of God, we must receive it as a child. Well, what does a man of authority and what does a man of means, how does he respond to this idea that i got to be like Kayla? That I, gotta, I have to receive this as a child. What, how does he respond? Well, he asks, the good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question. You know, we like to pick this apart and say, you know, oh yeah, he's going to try to work his way to God. Oh, what do I do? He needs to read the book of Romans. What's wrong with him? Well, first of all, the book of Romans didn't exist at this point, right? He's asking the question that you and I have asked. You're asking it today, I hope. God, what can I do to please you? We're asking this question during the sermon. 
What can I do to live as part of the kingdom of God? Let's not be too hard on this guy at this point. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's asking a sincere question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? We're talking about receiving now as a child. Well, Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, this is an interesting statement. What is, where is Jesus going here? What is his approach? This is really the, what C.S. Lewis labeled the, the, the great trilemma. Have you heard of this? That when you look at the commands of Jesus, he has to be, from what Jesus has said, you must come to one of three decisions about Jesus. He's either a raving lunatic, he is out of his mind and thinks he is God. So he is out of touch with reality. He's either a lunatic or he's a liar. He said all these things about himself. There's no doubt about it. Jesus said he is the Son of God. I am the Son of Man, which is a claim to deity. He's either out of his mind or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. I'm sorry, or he's the Lord. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. Jesus is using that same argument. This guy said, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. I think what Jesus is trying to do here is trying to say, hey, rich young ruler, standing before you is the God of the universe. You are important here. You have money. You have authority. But I am God, hoping he would bend, hoping he would break, Jesus shared that truth with him. But it didn't work. So now in verse number 20, he says to the man, you know the commandments. And now he lists out commandment number 6, 7, 8, 9. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, witness do honor your father and mother. And the man said, all these I have kept from my youth. And I wonder what's going on here. Is, he, is this man dishonest or is he deceived? I'm not really sure. But it's interesting that Jesus leaves out one of the commandments. Which commandment of the, of the social ethic commandments, of, of the commandments for how we are to interact with other people, which one did Jesus leave out? Well, it's the tenth one. Okay? Some people say, how can you be saved? Well, follow the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? Can you list them? Probably not, so that's not a real good method. What's the tenth one? The tenth one is, thou shalt not covet. You don't covet. Coveting means that I see something, and I want it. I see your car, I see your house, I see your children, I see your wife. I see your ability, and I want it. I want it as mine. Covenant attacks the character of God because it questions God's sovereignty in my life. It says, God, you don't know what you were doing when you only gave me this. Because what I really need is that. And how easy it is for the rich man to covet. All these I have kept from my youth, verse number 21. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. 
Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, this man, he became very sad. Why? For he was extremely rich. Is Jesus calling us to sell everything? Is that what this is? Are we going to have an invitation now? Come forward, we'll play just as I am. And you come forward and hand over the deed to your home and and hand over the title to your house and we're going to sell it all and give to the poor. Is that what we're saying? Are are, are we we like to become some of a monk or something and and, and have own nothing and we'll live like in a tree or something like that? Is that what Jesus is saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The Bible certainly supports the idea of personal property. Okay, and I don't want to get into that right now, but it does. Trust me, it does. There are rich men in the Bible who follow Jesus. Abraham was a very rich man, and he followed God. But what is, what is Jesus driving at here? It's this. It's the rich man's struggle. It's the wealthy man's problem. And it's this. There was something between this man and God. There was something between them. It was piled high for the rich young ruler and Jesus to see. And that was his things. His things. They came between God and this man. And when the Lord of the universe said, I call for everything between us to be gone, we will have that kind of relationship where there's nothing between us. You are mine and I am yours. You must be yielded in that way. A yielded dependence. You must be yielded in that way to come to me. The rich man said, that's too far to go. It's the wealthy man's woe. It's the rich man's problem. And we are so very rich. Coming to Christ, being in His kingdom, requires a yielded dependence upon grace. You see, the rich, and we are all rich. Trust me. We are the richest people in the world right here in this room. Don't look at somebody else and say, oh yeah, he's talking about him. No, I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about all of us. And here's what the rich man can do. Here's what we can do. Coming to the kingdom of God, coming to a relationship with God, It requires a certain level of dissatisfaction with my own kingdom. Coming to the kingdom of God requires a certain level of dissatisfaction with my own kingdom. The tax collector, he was dissatisfied with his kingdom. He said, oh God, have mercy on me. I can't even look at you. He was dissatisfied with his own kingdom. But the rich man, he wasn't dissatisfied with his own kingdom. Oh, it worked its way up in his flesh once in a while. And he thought, you know, am I really supposed to live for all this stuff? And he'd go buy himself another toy to distract him from the kingdom of God. That's the rich man's problem. He never allows himself to be dissatisfied with his own kingdom. So Jesus offers another and he says, no, thank you very much. I'll keep the one I have. That's why Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth To enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Rich, we have no need. We have no need in our own minds. 
But that little baby, she has a yielded abandonment, a yielded dependence upon grace. Mommy, feed me. Mommy, put me in bed. Mommy, clothe me. I mean, that's all she can do is receive. It's receive. It's receive. Let's just finish it out here. Those who heard it said that who can be saved? How is this even possible? We should, that is the logical question to ask right now. If you didn't ask that question, you didn't get it. Every one of us should say, well, then how are you ever saved? Who can be saved? Jesus answers that. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What we're being called to here is an absolute, it's a childish, it's a a carefree, it's it's an abandonment, it's a dependence upon God as our all in all. He's everything I need, He's everything I want. Notice what the disciples say. So He looks at the, the disciples, Peter speaks up for them as He often does in verse number 28, and He says, See, speaking to Jesus, we've left our homes and we've followed you. It's like Jesus or Peter saying, hey, you know, don't forget what we did, okay? We have left it all to follow you, right? You wrote that down in the book, right? Didn't you, Jesus? We've left it all. Remember the net? I left it by the sea. Remember? I appreciate that Jesus doesn't slap Peter, doesn't kick him, doesn't yell at him. He cares for him. Much like a father does his son. Gives him a gentle correction. A comfort and rebuke, really. He says, his eyes said, oh, Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children. It implies that some will. Some will do those very things. Some will leave parents. Some will leave children. Some will leave houses. Some will leave. But there's no one who does for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now don't don't miss the message. Jesus says, take that thing that sits here between us. Maybe it's your pride like the Pharisee that says, oh, look at all the things I don't do. Aren't I wonderful? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a rich young ruler. Oh, look at all the things that I can provide for myself. Jesus says, nobody burns those things to the ground and does not receive back eternal life so that they say, thank you, Lord. The greatest thing I could ever did was give you all that I have. He doesn't promise to give you more homes. He doesn't promise to give you more children. He doesn't promise to give you more wives or more anything else. That's not the promise God gives you. Don't let somebody lie to you and tell you that's what it means because that's not what it says. What He promises is eternal life. And eternal life is not only heaven. Eternal life is not only heaven. Eternal life is knowing the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the spiritual kingdom of God. God. Have you entered? Are you living? Jesus said this. One more. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that you receive us, Lord, as a child. You take us, Lord, like, a, like my father did to me. Cared for me and loved me, provided for me. Lord, like we see parents doing for children. Father, you bring us to yourself. And because of your spirit, his presence in our life, we can look to you and call you Father. Call you Abba, Daddy. Now listen, just continuing to pray. If you need to put your trust in Jesus today, you don't have to brush yourself off. You don't have to please Him with your actions. You come to Him by faith. You put your trust in the finished work of Jesus. What He did in your place and my place when He died for us. And His Spirit comes and lives in you. And you are then a child of God. And maybe you made that decision long ago. Stop depending upon yourself. Follow Him the same way you received Him as Lord. Now God, receive our worship. We will worship you now in spirit and truth. We want to tell you how awesome you are, Lord. That you've done a great work in our life. We know you, Lord. You know us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.